Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. God, do we have a good show for you today. We have Pete Pistone on with us of SiriusXM NASCAR Radio, Chicago Sports Fame, MRN, and the like. He is an unbelievable character, an unbelievable host on the radio, and an even better guy and a friend. He gave me so much of his time, and he doesn't have a lot of it that's free because he's on the air so often. He's working all the time. He's getting pulled over by cops after he runs stoplights. He's doing it all, but he's, he carved out some time for me on the show, and I so, so appreciate that. Over an hour with the co-host of The Morning Drive every weekday morning on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. We got into what he does on Sirius, what he does and continues to do on MRN, his background in sports in general in the sport of auto racing and NASCAR. Unbelievable chat. One of my favorites, I think. A little early to say because you haven't heard it yet, but I think it was one of my favorites. I cannot wait for you guys to hear it. Plus, we got Fontana to talk about for a hot minute and Las Vegas to preview. But before we do any of that, we got to pay homage to the number 38 for episode number 138. And we do that in this week's Wayback segment. Take it away, Papa Siegel. Thank you, Doof, and welcome everyone to episode 138. Today, we revisit one of Davies and my favorites. 907 starts for the 38 in the Cup Series. David Gilliland had 243 starts in the car, the most of any driver. But the next one on the list, with 130 starts and two of the number's seven wins, is Emporia, Virginia's own Elliot Sadler. Elliot William Barnes Sadler, or Elliot as we like to call him, had a 438 race cup career spanning 16 years. He got his first cup ride for the Wood Brothers in 1999. In 2001, he rewarded them with a win at Bristol. It was their first win in eight years at the time. After that, he moved on to Robert Yates Racing and was a teammate there with one of my faves, Dale Jarrett. In 2004, he won at Texas, driving the 38 and sporting the colorful M&M's livery we've become accustomed to seeing with Kyle Busch. At the urging of Jarrett, who had become not only his teammate but his close friend, Sadler stepped away from the Cup Series and embarked on a successful Xfinity Series career, though he still took the occasional Cup ride. Ellett would race in 397 Xfinity events, winning 13 times and racking up an impressive 227 top tens. He was the Xfinity Series' most popular driver a record four times, a record that still stands today. These days, he and his older brother, Hermie, stay busy managing their family's empire of truck stops and travel centers. You've seen him if you've traveled along I-95 between Virginia and the Carolinas. They also manage a chain of restaurants, and Elliot stays busy at the Top Hand Sports Academy, where he teaches and tutors kids in baseball. That's all for today. Back to you, Doof. 
Thank you, Dad. Yes. Good old Ellet. See, my dad, if you guys live under a rock and you haven't been listening to the Wayback segments for the last uh, year or so, Dale Jarrett, Bobby Allison, those are his guys. But once DJ kind of stepped away, and obviously that was way after Bobby Allison had hung up his helmet, Elliot Sadler was his guy. And when he went down to Xfinity, he ran for KHI for a little bit, Junior Motorsports, was real close to winning that Xfinity title until I think it was Ryan Priest kind of got in his way at Homestead Miami Speedway. But regardless, Elliot Sadler, a really solid NASCAR career. I don't think it's a Hall of Fame one by any measure, but definitely a Hall of Famer in the fans' eyes. Because as he said, most popular driver a record four times in the Xfinity Series, which I find interesting. It's only four times that's a record. But regardless, Elliot Sadler, great guy, great race car driver, and a great homage to him this week. Let's start off this episode as we always do with a good old-fashioned And let's throw it right over to interview time with Pete Pistone, not Pistone of Sirius XM NASCAR Radio, the Motor Racing Network, and Chicago Sports Finest. Again, we covered so, so much ground in this chat, from his humble beginnings with his uncle Tiger Tom, to getting started in the business, in the industry, in motorsports, how he ended up getting the co-hosting role on TMD with Mike Bagley, how that morphed into a bountiful relationship and a bountiful show for 14 years, going strong, He's been at this job for a long time. He knows a ton of tricks of the trade, and he has a lot of fun stories to share. And I'm going to get out of the way so you can hear him. Without further ado, here is my chat with the legend, and I mean that in every sense of the word, Pete Pistone. Pleasure to welcome on to the show this week, somebody that I have worked with for the last few months and have listened to for the last few years, and now I'm pleased to call him a friend and a colleague. It is... Pete Pistone. That, that's how you say your name, right, Pete? Pistone? Right, that's it. Do, do I have that got right? it. After all these years, you nailed it there out of the box, man. You have those uh, perky ears. Yes. Isn't that funny? Isn't it funny? It's Pistone, as you know. But you know, mm-hmm. when you have an uncle like I did that was like basically part of the sport since day one, and he went by Pistone, Tiger Tom, you know what? I'll let it slide. It's okay. It's cool. Well, thank you. Yes, it is Pistone. Uh, how many people on an average day – that maybe meet you for the first time or hear you for the first time. How many people get that wrong? Uh, uh, I, I would say percentage wise, it's probably 50, 50, because when, you know, if you don't know me and you look at P I S T O N E, right. I'm going to say Pistone, right? My daughter Mia is going through this. Now she's gone through this her entire school year. Uh, now she's in college. It's okay. Again, in this sport, because of there's a, pre- there's a predecessor, you know, my uncle, it's uh-huh. a little bit of an uphill battle sometimes, but Hey, as long as they call me Pete, I guess I'll, I'll just take that, baby. What's worse, Pistone or Hendrix? <laughs> well, we don't have a drop on TMD that says who usually when people say Pistone, but maybe we who? should. Maybe you, I mean, it's a good point, actually. Yeah, we should. Both are yeah. bad. Both are evenly bad. But it is Pete yeah. Pistone, and he's a legend of the game. Obviously, you guys know him from MRN, from Chicago, Sirius XM, The Morning Drive. And as I said, you know, I've listened to Pete for a while, and now I'm able to call him a colleague and a friend. And we have a lot of ground to cover, my friend. So let's jump right in. I want to ask you how you got into racing, but I already know the answer. It's because of your last name. You just mentioned Uncle Tom. Can you tell the listeners that may not be too familiar with your background or his background, how he kind of got started in the sport and how you kind of came along for the ride? So my uncle is Tiger Tom Pistone E. 
and uh, we're from Chicago and he got into motorsports. He, he raced here in the Chicago land area when they raced weekly at soldier field where the bears play football and all the little short tracks that are, some are still here. Some are not Rockford speedway. There was a place called O'Hare stadium, actually a racetrack right by O'Hare airport. Mm. And he decided that at one point he wanted to go and run in NASCAR. So he picked up the family. I had eight cousins. So my uncle, my aunt, and my eight cousins picked up. They went south, and he ran in NASCAR. And he was actually, believe it or not, he was in the very first Daytona 500 in 1959. He was in that field and won a couple of races. He won a, a race actually at Soldier Field, uh, a convertible race when NASCAR yep. had a convertible division. He won at Martinsville. Uh, he won at Richmond. So he has wins, you know, in the books. And then he went on after that, uh, Davey, after being a, a driver to have a parts business, a race car parts business. And believe it or not, if you go to the Charlotte area over on Rocky River Road, it's still there. Tiger Tom Pistoni race car and parts That's and cool. got involved with the legend stuff when that first happened, when 600 racing was first born and Humpy Wheeler was all part of that. He got my uncle involved in that. So he was a big part of that as well. He's like 93 now. So you don't see him as much at the track. So my dad, obviously, is Tom's brother. He, back in the day, used to travel with my uncle. And so he was sort of the right-hand man, drove the truck and all that kind of thing. So obviously, I was around this sport since I was born. Right. Never wanted to be a driver. Never had, not even a mechanically inclined guy. I can't change your oil, baby, so don't ask me. Good. But I was always around this sport, and I wanted to be part of the sport. I thought the best way to be part of the sport was to try to do it from what I've been doing on the, on the media side of things. So growing up, obviously, in the Chicagoland area, sports has been a, an aspect of your life that is critical, and it has been crucial to your development. Has motorsports always been that for you, too? Because, you know, people that listen to the show, they hear you talk about the Bears and the Cubs and all the Chicago sports teams, but motorsports is within the fabric of your being. Was it always that way, or did you kind of start following along with your uncle and your dad since he was driving the truck when you grew up a little bit older, or were you that way from when you were young? No, I was always that way. And the reason was is that by the time I was born, my dad and my uncle, you know, had been obviously they'd done with that. My uncle picked yeah. up a work to Charlotte. My dad got married to my mom and had a family. So he would take me then to the short tracks around the Chicagoland area when I was just a little kid. Again, Rockford Speedway, Santa Fe Speedway, all the tracks we have in Wisconsin, Grundy County Speedway. So at a very small age, I was just going to the racetrack. And I knew that my uncle was racing in NASCAR, you know, and there wasn't obviously a lot of television then. So we'd listen on the radio or we'd wait for the newspapers to show up the next week to see where he finished. So, yeah, I always had that, but I was also somebody that always loved to your point, other sports, baseball, basketball, football, hockey. I, I played it in high school. I, I followed it. I follow all of our teams here in Chicago. So I had that kind of a rare combo platter of there's a sports guy, but there's a sports guy that also knows, NASCAR. And it was a little bit unique. You know, I think it's still kind of maybe not quite as unique now. But yeah, I had my foot kind of in both sides of that uh, over that both sides of that fence. And it's, it was kind of cool, I thought. I think I read that there was one summer where you traveled in that truck with him to a lot of races. And that's kind of when you got hooked. That's when the bug caught you. Yeah. So one summer, I can't remember what it was. I was probably like 10 years old. He came up to visit because my, you know, his mom and dad, my grandma and grandpa were still alive. So he came up to visit. And he had to go back to North Carolina where he was. And he's like, hey, why don't I take Petey with me? And then the rest of my family, I had four sisters, my mom and dad. You guys can drive down 
and then you can just scoop them up and bring them back home and make a vacation. Scoop them up. Uh, let's go. So that was when he was running, and he wasn't running Grand National then, uh, went Cup now. Uh, there was a sportsman of it. Well, what's the Bush series, and then now is the Xfinity series? Yep. He ran a lot of the sportsman races. So those were the nights where basically he was running Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So, yeah, I got to spend about 10 days with two of my cousins. We actually rode in the race car. It was on the open trailer, you know, the open face trailer back in those days. We were in the car. I'm sure it broke a lot of laws throughout the country. <laughs> we were going through the mountains of the, you know, North wow. Carolina, Tennessee. And yeah, we're going to all these little places, these little short track races. And, and yeah, that totally was like, you know what? I kind of want to be part of this somehow when I go back to Chicago and see how I can do uh, as I got older and you know, went to college and sort of studied broadcasting. How can I plug myself into the NASCAR world? Okay, before we move on to to Rockford and the PA job there and everything. So you're sitting in the race car on the open trailer, out in the open, middle yep. of the night. Like, yep. did you get cold? Were you hungry? Were you able to sleep? How, well, take me we, through that experience. Well, we, we didn't sleep much. So my, my favorite story about this was, is we're at the house in North Carolina and my aunt's giving us the lunches and I'm getting in the, ra- in the race car with my two cousins and she gives us popsicles for the ride, right? <laughs> Okay. So we're leaning and it's like, you know, thousand degrees. It's North Carolina in July. Yeah. So we're leaning out the race car, the side of the race car, reading the, reading the postules, but they're like melt. It's melting like crazy right. on the side right. of the race car is all these multicolored strawberry, you know, <laughs> lime, yellow, whatever. So he gets to the racetrack and I forgot where we were. And he rolled, you know, he comes around to the side. He's what that, what the hell is this? What's going on here? And he rolls onto the track. And I remember the PA announcer going, well, there's, Tiger Tom with a brand new multicolored paint scheme. Look at him go. It was just all the optical juice from us in the, in the car over the summer. Oh, over the my God. Night. That's great. You remember what yeah. flavor you had? I, I had? I think I was the lime guy. So I was okay. responsible for the green, which, as you know, green is bad luck in racing. So I think he spun out that day. So it was Unacceptable. Yeah. I don't know. What are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. What are you going to do? So let's move on a little bit now. I know you got the PA announcer gig at Rockford Speedway. And at that point, you obviously already knew that you wanted a career in motorsports on the media side, doing things like that. But when you got that job specifically, that was not necessarily pigeonholing yourself, but that was you saying, okay, I want to be in racing. Because a lot of people that are a really, really young age that know they want to be in broadcasting, they go the stick and ball route, or they say, well, I see football or baseball, basketball on TV. I want to do that. I want to be the next Joe Buck. I want to be the next Aaron Andrews, etc. But racing was always going to be it for you. Is that fair to say? Or did you have other interests in broadcasting specifically outside of motorsports? So here's how it worked for me. So I went to college at Northern Illinois University in mm-hmm. DeKalb. And I majored in what was then the curriculum radio, television, film. Yeah, be a little broader. That's fine. So I wanted <laughs> to go into whatever, right? Broadcasting, multimedia. And so at that point, you know how this goes. Young people, you get out of school and you want to be a broadcaster. So you have a couple of choices. Do you want to go to a small market somewhere in the middle of the country at a 5,000 watt radio station and kind of work your way up? Or do you want to figure out a way to stay in a major market? Well, I didn't really want to do the first part of that. So I found WGN here in Chicago. At that time, they had radio and TV were both in the same building. Well, they were advertising for a job where you could work in the sports office, you know, get experience and be in the sports office. But part of the job was in the morning, you had to be an usher for Bozo Circus, which was a live TV show that they did there at WGN, and the Phil Donahue show, which is a talk show that was there in Chicago. So I'm like, you know what? I want to take that job. So I took the job at WGN. 
And basically my day was I showed up in the morning, put a little blue blazer on, my little slacks, and I would get the ladies lined up for Donahue. I put them in the studio, get them all set up. By that time, Spinorama, here comes all the kids and the families for Bozo Circus, which was on the air live in Chicago at noon every day. Get them in the studio, Spinorama, let everybody out of the Donahue show because they were done. Say goodbye to Phil. Getting dizzy. Bozo, got dizzy. Did Bozo, said goodbye to everybody, get them out. And then I would go work in the sports office in the afternoon. And that's where I got to be around, you know, all these sports broadcasting legends in Chicago. Yeah. You know, Jack Brickhouse and Harry Carey was doing the Cubs then and all that kind of thing. So to answer your question, I wanted to do, you know, all sports. I had that that sort of uh, experience there. Well, then I heard that Rockford Speedway, to your point, the Deary family, still there now, was looking for a PA announcer. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Maybe I can try to do both these things here. So they went up there. I interviewed. They hired me at the PA and PR for them for a lot mm -hmm. of years. So my day was, and I was living kind of in the north side of Chicago, my week was Monday through Friday, WGN Radio, Saturday night, up to Rockford Speedway, which is about 90 miles from where I lived every weekend. And I did that. And so I kind of had both, but the Rockford Speedway part, I can never thank the Deary's enough. They really launched me into the motorsports career that I have. Now, WGN, everything they did, they launched me into sort of my complete broadcasting career. So it was a nice little, right. nice little cocktail there, a little recipe between the two. Right. A little, little spinorama, a little mixture. Don't get too dizzy. Don't, don't drink on the, don't drink on the job there. Um, so the PR, the PR aspect of things, right. I, I get asked a lot and I've, you know, thought about, you know, potentially going down that road every now and then just because you know how it is, right? Like PR, there's always going to be spots for that, but journalism, the, the landscape's changing the media right. as it know, as we know it is changing. Did you seek out the PR aspect of that job or was that something that kind of just came along with being the PA announcer at Rockford that came with the territory? Yeah, that came with the ter territory. So what they needed was somebody to do the stuff on Saturday night, but they also needed somebody to put out the press releases. Yeah. Literally, again, dating myself, but you know, you would have to get done with the racing, say goodbye to everybody, go into the office, type up the results, and then fax them to National Speed Sport News, Midwest Racing News, Checker Flag Racing News, because that was the only way you would disseminate the information back then. Fax them. Wow. Yeah, it was a fax machine. And then, you know, you'd have to worry about that, making sure it went through. And then, you know, that was basically the job. So to your point, you know, no, I did not seek out the PR part of it. But I felt what's funny is the understanding now that I'm a media person, understanding the PR side, I think was a good thing, because I know even today mm -hmm. it's changed a lot. But I can understand what those folks do on that side and the job that they have. So it was good experience. And so yeah. I, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but I didn't seek it out. It just was kind of thrust upon me. In the moment when you were doing the PR part of the job, because you wanted to be the PA announcer, which you were, and, and you enjoyed that part, did you not like the PR part or were you kind of growing to it and saying, okay, I, I can kind of see why people enjoy this or were you still not really a fan of it? It was okay. The, the worst part was like, and here's the thing about Rockford. So they are very, even to this day, baby, they are so good about their, their show. Six o'clock qualifying, seven eleven green flag for the trophy dash. Ten o'clock, you're done basically. Try to Even get on the still, and but so then you know you've been talking and you're excited and all that, and then get done and you're like, oh, well now I got to go in the office for two hours, <laughs> write up all that stuff, yeah. and then oh by the way, drive ninety minutes back to where I was. So the job itself wasn't bad, but sort of the whole exhaustion of the night sometimes, especially you know get a little rain delay or once in a while. Sometimes that got in the way, but I didn't really yeah. mind it as much. It was just a kind of labor intensive sometimes.
Yeah, because, I mean, you know how it is. got to get there early, then you have the actual show itself, and then once the show ends, your work really starts, and it doesn't end for a while, and then, oh, by the way, you got an hour and a half drive back home. So I'm sure at points it was a labor of love, but at the same time, you had to look at the big picture and say, okay, I'm still doing what I want to do, and this is a good starting spot to start my career off. Exactly. And you know what? You just made a really good point, and I would say this to anybody that is in that spot now, getting there early, getting into the pit area, talking to the drivers, understanding their stories. That's what a PA announcer should do at a short track. Tell yeah. those stories, not just tell you who's starting where, you know, in the, in the heat races or the trophy dash. So you're right. And, and you also use the right term. I thought labor of love was kind of cool. And I was doing that at a racetrack where I was brought to as a little kid and I sat in the stands and now here I am up in the press box around the racetrack yeah. with a live microphone. That was, that was pretty cool. It was. So let's, let's get some timing straight here. So you mentioned you went to Northern Illinois at this mm-hmm. point, is this before or after college or during? This is uh, after college. So I got out of college okay. to the WGN thing I talked about. Then I was yeah. able to connect it to, to the Rockford thing. Right. Okay. Those were sort of the two things that I was doing there for a while, quite frankly. And then, you know, to your PR point, some of the PR opportunities that started to come my way because of that, I did PR for the IMSA Camel GT series. Those of you can look that one up. Keep dating uh, yourself, Petey. Yeah, I am dating myself. And it was the Jaguar team, Bob Tullius, Haley Herwood, uh, or Hurley Haywood, (laughs) just my mom, Hurley Haywood, uh, uh, Chip Robinson, Brian Redmond. So all of a sudden, here's a kid from Chicago who had just been at a short track for like every summer of his life doing sports car PR, you know, for that deal. So one thing leads to another. I mean, it's the whole networking and kind of understanding people. So that was kind of cool. That was a good experience, too. Was Hurley Haywood, um, there was a documentary that came on in him, out on him recently. He was the gay driver, right? Yes. Hurley Haywood, okay, yeah, gay driver. Yeah. And he just, you know, to your point about calling me Pistone, he used to call me Tom. So, you know, it worked out perfectly <laughs> as well. Hurley and I yeah. had a really tight bond back in those days. Hurley seemed like a bit of a character from the documentary was that cool. I remember watching. That whole group was so cool. I mean, and, you know, I get there because it was a, the Jaguar. I was the PR person for Jaguar. They give you a Jaguar to drive for the weekend. I'm like, how did this happen? Son. I know exactly. So that wasn't a bad gig for, I only did that for one year, but that was, that wasn't a bad gig. It was not. They couldn't afford to give you a street car too. <laughs> no, I get one back home to my, whatever I had then Ford Fiesta. I think that's yeah. what I had. Yeah. What do you do? What a Fiesta driving that thing. Um, not, no. Doing the sports car stuff though, since you had a stock car and local, you know, short track background, did yeah. you feel uncomfortable? Were you a little bit out of your element or at the end of the day, a race car is a race car. I was out of my element at first. Um, it was cool because they used to go to a lot of tracks that NASCAR went to, Daytona a couple times a year yeah. and all that, Watkins Glen. And it was funny you say that because I would be like, boy, I'd love to be here in a NASCAR capacity at some point instead of this. But they also did kind of cool things, you know, like there's a lot of talk right now about street circuit racing. They did like Columbus, Ohio Grand Prix, West Palm Beach Grand Prix. So there were some cool things that were part of it that I wouldn't have had those opportunities mm-hmm. in NASCAR. So, yeah, that wasn't exactly where my background was, but I, I, I learned to embrace it because it was something different and, you know, it, it's something, I, again, I wouldn't trade anything for. Right. So let's go back a little bit. And I know we're kind of flopping around here, but, again, you have a very diverse background and there's a lot of ground I want to cover. You mentioned WGN. I'm obviously from the D.C. area, but I know that WGN in Chicago is an institution. I mean, that is the network, the channel, the source for all of your sports information is right now and has been forever. 
So working for them in whatever capacity, whether it's behind the scenes, whether it's on air, I mean, when you work for WGN, you know that you've made it to a certain degree. Can you tell me a little bit about your time there and the specific roles and responsibilities that you had and whether or not you had to kind of shed that mindset of, oh man, I'm a Chicago diehard and I'm working for WGN. And when it became a job, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it really never felt that way, to your point, because it was like, oh, my God, I'm at WGN, which was the reason, again, I wanted to give it a shot, knowing that I was going to have to start doing whatever they wanted me to do. Yeah. Again, with no no disrespect, going to a really small market somewhere, which what I didn't want to do. So I just became that guy that no matter what they needed me to do, I would do. I just ushered, I just told you, I ushered Bozo Circus and then worked in the sports office. So busy. What led to the on-air part was, as I eventually got there, was I was, so on the TV side, I was floor directing uh, a guy who did, he had a radio show, but he did the movie reviews on television for the chant, for WGN TV. His name was Roy Leonard. So we were just kind of shooting the breeze. And somehow, some way, the conversation turned to motorsports. And he's like, oh my God, you know racing? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, you know, one of my first jobs when I was in Boston before I moved to Chicago was... I used to be a PA announcer at a local short track because I was just trying to make money as an up-and-coming broadcaster. He goes, why don't you come on my radio show one day and let's just talk about racing and just see what happens. I go, I would love that. So here you go. Oh, my good goodness. I'm, I'm going to be on the air at WGN Radio, right, with Roy Leonard. So I came out that day, whatever it was. We started talking about it, and then we got done. And he goes, let's uh, open up the phone lines. Well, all of a sudden, the phone lines all lit up. All of a sudden – People wanted to talk racing because nobody talked racing in Chicago, yeah. let alone on WGN radio. So we got done with it. And he was like, oh, my God, that was great. You know what? Let's make this a weekly segment. Why don't you come on my Saturday show every week and tell us what's going on in motorsports and we'll see what happens. And literally, Davey, that was how I got on the air there. And it turned from a weekly segment, turned into finally getting hired as a staff, you know, on air guy and, and, and went from there. And I could never think again, rest in peace. Roy Leonard was the guy that gave me that shot and it turned into something pretty big. I know that being a PA announcer, you're talking to people, but at that point before that became a, a special thing at WGN, did you have any aspirations of doing sports talk radio at that point? Not really sports talk radio, but I know I wanted to do something on the radio, but it was more of sort of a straightforward reporter, yeah. you know, maybe it's post game or pregame, which again, I got a chance to do. Uh, more on TV. I also wanted to write. I also liked to write. And I didn't get that opportunity until a little later when I got hired by the Sun-Times here in Chicago. But I kind of wanted to be that Swiss Army knife kind of a guy, be able to do everything. Uh, but maybe not so much, you know, punch up calls and, and take them, which, you know, obviously is now a big part of my life. Um, but I wanted kind of to do everything there. And it just turned into that day. People were like, and I remember, I still have from people today, you know, I'm driving in the car and I'm thinking, are they talking about Santa Fe Speedway? Are they talking about the NASCAR race at Michigan on WGN? And the the station realized, you know, there's an audience here for this. It's a big city. It's a big, you know, GN, a 50,000 watt station wasn't just Chicago. It went at night throughout basically the country. Um, they figured they turned it into a show. They sold advertising and it kind of went from there. I guess this view is probably jaded because I'm 25 and what I've grown up with big cities, metropolitan areas, knowing how the sports markets operate is different. But when those phones lines lit up and you were talking racing with a lot of people and they were really interested in not just the surface level stuff, but local short tracks, were you surprised at all that there was that many people and there was that much interest? Or did you know that there were those people out there? 
I knew there were people out there, but it was I was surprised there were that many people out there that really felt like, you know, and that was back when I don't know if maybe racing was a little more of a niche sport, mm-hmm. quite frankly. And I think people understood and that people were like, hey, they're talking about, you know, my sport uh, on a station that carries the Cubs and, and talks baseball and basketball, football, hockey, but it never caught racing. So I was surprised. And then when we turned it into the weekly deal, um, the fact of the matter is we would just take calls and we would get all of a sudden there was the other part, all of a sudden PR back to PR PR people from race teams understood, wait a minute, there's a show in Chicago talking about auto racing. I need to get my driver on there I need to get my crew chief on there. So all of a sudden we were getting people reaching out to us to get guests on the show. So it's just kind of blossomed into something that just kind of happened by chance, quite honestly. And you mentioned the writing aspect of things. So when did you get hired by the Chicago Sun-Times? And did you did you always know that you wanted to have a writing aspect to your career in media, per se? Or did that kind of happen after you dabbled in other things and you said, I also want to try this? No, I, I did want to write. So so what happened by this time now, this was about 99, 2000. And okay. they had Chicago Motor Speedway, which was a racetrack that was built uh, in Cicero, Illinois. Uh, around a horse track, Sportsman's Park, and they had an IndyCar race there. And then there was talk about Joliet, and NASCAR was going to build a track in, in Joliet, which is Chicago and Speedway. Well, all of a sudden, all the media here in Chicago started to realize, you know what? We we need to cover this. We need to cover motorsports now because Got just the man for the job. We're being forced. So again, luckily, hey, wait a minute. We heard this guy on WGN Radio. Let's get in touch with him. And so. I got reached out by the Sun Times. Would you like to write? I, I, you know, give me some samples. So I did. And then when there's a there was a television uh, channel here called Chicagoland TV, CLTV. They reached out to me. Hey, we want to do a weekly motorsports show. So all of a sudden, again, right place, right time. They needed somebody to do racing in Chicago. I was kind of the only guy, and so I got to do all those things together. And there were about three or four years where I was writing columns for the paper. They were sending me to races. I was doing the show on WGN, and I was doing a live Tuesday night show. On CLTV, and it, it was great. And all of a sudden, wow. motorsports was a big deal in Chicago, which up until then it had not been. Speaking of writing, was the Chicago Sun Times opportunity was that before or after or during RacingOne.com? It was right before. So I'm doing all these things, right? And again, God bless. I'm on the radar of people for whatever yep. reason, you know. So there was a group here in Chicago of guys, entrepreneurs that wanted to start a website. They want to start a racing website. So. Long story, Tom Waddle, who I worked with at WGN, he played at Boston College, played for the Bears. He went to a Boston College fundraiser, and one of the guys that was starting Racing One, Racing One happened to be a BC alum. They started talking about what they're doing, and Waddle's like, well, hold on, I got I got just the guy. We got a guy on our channel, on our station, on WGN, who's the motorsports maven, put us together, and boom, I got part of, you know, part of racing one. So they brought me in basically as one of the founding guys that started that website. And we started in 2000. I was was doing all the things I was telling you about. And we had the website. And then in 2001, basically, that's when we went full blast on racingone.com. Was that Jeff Wackerlin, the guy that went to BC? No, no, it wasn't Jeff Wackerlin. I hired Jeff Wackerlin. Here's a funny story about Wack, who became the kind of the managing editor there. We needed to hire people. All of a sudden became, you know, big. Let's go. We got to hire people. So I went through a stack of resumes. This is a lesson all you kids out there. He had a really good resume, but you know where he went to college? Northern Illinois University. Mm. No Huskies. All of a sudden, that resume went to the top of the top of yeah. the pile, and, and I hired Wax. So yeah, that worked out perfect. 
Okay. I'm Cuz I knew that you've worked with Wack for a while and I know he still does work in the sport and stuff so I didn't know if that was him or not but yeah. okay. That's a, that's okay. That. We applied we we put I don't even remember where we actually put the the one ad up but he answered it. Got a bunch of people and he was yeah. good. He, you know, he interviewed well and he had a lot of good stuff in Northern Illinois. You got to keep those Huskies together, David. Yes, you do. Got to. What are you? The the, the wolf pa- is that a wolf pack? No, that's not Carolina State. Don't don't. No, I know, them. but like Huskies, are they technically wolves by definition? I'm not sure if when Huskies travel in groups, what they're called. <laughs> what's what's your like rallying cry at games and stuff? It's a, it's like oh, it's the same kind of a deal. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so technically, I'll I'll say a Walmart. I did the back, same. We'll yeah. we'll give that to NC State. Okay. Yeah, um. <laughs> so racing one. Did that yeah. eventually get bought out or taken over by MRN.com? Yes. Like eventually. Yes. Yeah, so eventually Racing One got purchased by ISC, and then it, they turned it into MRN.com. So that's how that kind of more. But, you know, we were the, I'll be honest, we were the first independent, yeah. you know, motorsports website in a time where all that stuff blossomed. And, you know, I'm very proud of what we did there. And then, yeah, somehow the people that were kind of the money guys brokered a deal with ISC and MRN, and it kind of turned into MRN.com. Well, that's what I was going to say, because this was kind of before the digital age as we know it was a thing. It was at the very start of when digital and the Internet were becoming prominent everyday aspects of everybody's lives. Yeah. So where did this come from? Like, did you guys know that this is the way that the landscape was going? Was this kind of a thing that you guys just decided to try? Did you have any intel or was it a mix of all those things and you guys just getting lucky, right place, right time? Yeah, it was a roll of the dice, no doubt about it. And it was right around, as you said, that internet boom. And Jayski was really the only place that you could get NASCAR news from. Mm-hmm. You know, he did a great job. You know, he had stuff that people didn't have, and that was great. And then NASCAR.com came online. But we felt, because back then we covered everything. We did IndyCar, we did sports car, we did drag racing. Let's give this a shot. And, and we did. So you're right. It was a lot of the right place, right, right time. A lot of sleepless nights. A lot of times, how are we going to make payroll and all that kind of a thing. It wasn't always easy, but it was fun. And, you know, again, I, I'll say this, I think we helped kind of find a voice for a lot of the digital people. We weren't credentialed at a lot of races early on because they didn't recognize, oh, you guys are just, you know, basement bloggers. Because this is in the early 2000s when this was not a thing, you know? No, it was not a thing. And, and I'll say this, you know, again, more irony in my life, David Poole, the Charlotte Observer, who of course was the host of the morning drive, he actually, through the NMPA, went to bat for us to get us credentialed at Charlotte Motor Speedway one year. And he got us in. He's like, you know what? These guys are legitimate because we had hired some people who were magazine writers. Uh, so they had a kind of a name. Uh, and he helped us get credentialed. And once we were able to get our foot in the door, got credentialed, show that we were going to be, you know, credible sources and, and put out good content. Yeah. That really opened up a lot of doors for the sanctioning bodies and the racetracks. And after that, we really had no problem getting access where we needed access. So when you were writing online, was that your primary job? Was that like your primary income source? Or were you also still doing stuff at WGN and with the Sun-Times and other things here and there? Yeah, I was doing it all there early on. Eventually then the Sun-Times faded away. And I was, because again, that, you know, there's only so many hours in the day. And when Breaking One took off, you know, and it's so funny because, you know, (laughs) there was a time where the, (laughs) if you didn't manually hit, a button at 11 o'clock central time, noon, Eastern time, the website didn't go forward to the next day. That's how oh. antiquated it was. So we would have to take turns like, well, who's going to stay up tonight to make sure they hit the button. So when you get up in the morning, it doesn't say the day before 
things yeah. like that, you know, and, you know, and we, again, we had an office in the city and we had advertising people. So that really turned into, you know, a full-time job. And again, I was still able to do some of the other stuff that I started doing, but mostly that became the, the main, the main source of income and the main job for sure. When did MRN come into the picture? So MRN came in when, say, about 2010, David Hyatt, who was the president then, because I was working on the digital side. And he so this is after TMD started then? This was, yeah, I came on TMD in 2009. Right. And then 2000, so basically 2009, David said, hey, do you want to try some on-air stuff? Gotcha. Okay. I said, okay, you know, I would love to. But I, and I was honest, listen, I'm not going to be, you know, Barney Hall. And he goes, well, nobody's Barney Hall, so don't use that as your, <laughs> your litmus test. So he said, well, what if we worked into the mix and, you know, put you on pit reporting? And I said, I would love to. So the first one was Martinsville for truck race in the spring of 2010. Mm-hmm. And I just remember night before we're with the crew in Danville, Virginia, where they stay, didn't sleep a wink, you know, was just so nervous. And just remember being down there and, and I know Alex Hayden was on the broadcast, Barney Hall, Steve Post. And I was lined up with Mike Skinner. That was going to be my interview when they threw it to the grid. And my niece, Davey, were knocking like crazy. I'm sure they heard it in Chicago. And when you hear Barney Hall saying, you know, let's go to the grid and talk to the driver who's going to start outside the front row, Mike Skinner. He's with our Pete Pistoni of Chicago, Illinois. You're like, okay, I'm supposed to talk now after that? I can't do that. And I did. I was able to get it out, and I, I did it. So David Hyatt, I will always, again, there's all these people in my life that gave me shots. He was the guy that gave me the shot, and I got to do, what, 12 years of MRN now, which has been great. I had in my notes there was a Rick Crawford story, but was it Mike Skinner and not Rick Crawford? Yeah. Well, it was Rick. You're right. It was Rick Crawford because he had start. It was starting like his 9,000th in a row race or whatever. I can't remember what okay. it was. You're right. And then I had this quickly, you know, segue over to, to Skinner. Uh, but Rick was – I actually, thank you for reminding me. Rick was nice because he goes – Pete, good to have you down here with us. Like he gave me a welcome. Very nice. like, you're supposed to drive the truck. Don't worry about me, Rick. Let me do this. So yeah, I got Crawford and Skinner. Now I'll tell you this, that race itself, because those were the days where they had three pit reporters for truck races. They don't do that now. They only have two, three pit reporters for a truck race at Martinsville and you're a P3 at the end. There's like nine or 10 trucks back there. You got a lot of Clay Greenfield updates for me that day. There wasn't a lot going on at the end of the field that particular <laughs> afternoon. I'm sure yeah. you smashed it, though. I did. Well, Mario Gosselin got a lot of airtime that day, too. I remember that. Hey, yeah. There you go. Well, he's still kicking Mark. it, so clearly he didn't yeah. run him out the sport. Yeah, worked out good. Worked yeah. out well. Okay, so let's go backwards a little bit then, because I, I didn't know if MRN was before or after TMD came into the picture. But like you mentioned, 2009, that's when you got the gig with Bagman and with Sirius XM. Yeah. But before that, leading up to that, how did the fact that you became his co-host on TMD, how did that situation progress and how did it eventually happen? Well, again, I'll thank another person. Dave Moody had me on as a guest on his show on Sirius XM Speedway. A show that started it all. show that started it all. Somehow he was reading our stuff at Racing One, bless his heart. And I can't remember who was producing back then. It might have been might have been Ryan Horn, who's now the you know the, the program director uh, at, at MRN. It might have been Marty Huff. They reached out, hey, you want to come on Dave's show and be a guest? I'm like, sure. So I did it, and Dave was like, this guy's you know, let's have him on on a regular basis. So I was a weekly regular, mm-hmm. and then at that one point, Daniel Norwood, El Supremo, who's still the program director there at. Uh, Serious XM NASCAR radio, another guy that I can never thank enough. He called me and he said, Hey, would you like to maybe 
do a show on the weekends, I need someone to co-host the front stretch because whoever was, was Pat Patterson, he can't do it. Can you do it? Or press pass. Could you do that? I'm like, sure. So I got to be the fill-in guy on the weekends. So then I did that for a few weeks. And, and then Moody had to go. This is when the banquet was in New York at the Waldorf, right? So mm-hmm. Dave had to go on Thursday because he was part of the MRM broadcast from the, the, the Waldorf. I got to do Sirius XM Speedway by myself with actually with Craig Moore who was producing then and Susie Q. So that was like my very wow. first, wow, look at this. Then I started filling in whenever David Poole couldn't be on the morning drive when David was off, you know, so Mike and I started to work together and I was just a fill-in guy. We started to develop a little bit of a rapport with one another. And then of course, sadly, the day happened in, in April of 2009 where David passed away. And then July of that year, they asked me if I'd like to, be the guy to fill in and, and take the spot with Bag Band. We've been together since. I was listening back to a podcast that you and Mike were both on with Nate, Nate Ryan of NBC Sports, I think at this point, like six years ago, which is crazy. Yeah. yeah. But Bagman told the story that, you know, Daniel basically asked Mike, you know, who do you want to be your co-host? And he had a couple people in mind. And they were really, really, really close to putting pen to paper to make Buddy Baker his co-host. And one day, Bagman kind of just had an epiphany and said, you know what? I'm going to roll with Pete. And before that pen was to paper, he called El Supremo and voila, here you are all, the, all these years later. Is that kind of how the story went? That's how the story went. I mean, I think the pen was already to paper where Buddy was going to be the guy that was going <laughs> to be some white out. Yeah. And so then Mike said at the very last minute, and here's the weird thing. I was, that was a weird year for me because my dad passed away in January of that year. Right. So I was kind of all over the place. So we had this giant family vacation with my sisters and my nieces and nephews and my mom that we rented a house in Tennessee in July. And we were just going to go down there for a week. Right. So right. Literally two days before we we're going to pack up and do this, I get a call from, from Daniel saying, what would you think about being the full-time co-host of the morning drive? And I'm like, really? I, I kind of thought that was all in stone. And he goes, well, yeah. You just said, Davey, Mike really feels strongly. He feels like you have a rapport. He goes, I won't lie. I think you do. I think this would be great. We're going to have to undo a few things, <laughs> not going into any detail. But do you, would you take the job? And, you know, now that totally, here's the other thing. That totally changed my life because, you know, I'm on central time. So to get up to do the morning drive, this is not a complaint. It's just the reality of it. Yeah. I up at 4.30 in the morning. I was always the late night guy. I was the opposite end of things. I'm like, well, wait a minute, how am I going to do a morning radio show? At that time, my daughter, Mia, was like three years old, four years old. We had a little kid in the house. My wife was working in an office, so it wasn't like she was working at home. How are we going to work this out? And we were like, you know what, we'll figure it out. And we did. And they had to go to Buddy. Steve Cohen, who was the, you know, the, the president of sports programming at SiriusXM, he had to get involved. And at the end of the day, it all got put together. But I always felt weird. I remember I saw Buddy about two months after that. And I, you know, I couldn't just not address it. And I yeah. did. And he was very cool about it. He's like, you know what? You and Bagman sounded great together. I still have the gig on the late shift. So, you know, the best to you. So it all worked out great. So leading up to that, you, you mentioned that you and Mike had a little bit of a rapport because you had co-hosted together in certain spots. But before that, besides, you know, in terms of any off air friendship or chemistry relationship, you guys didn't really have that before you guys co-hosted together and you guys developed that relationship and rapport through co-hosting on the air. So in a way, it was kind of like a pairing that you guys weren't sure if it was going to work until it did, which is 
really remarkable. Yeah. I mean, I knew Mike, obviously, his voice from the MRM broadcast uh-huh. as a turn announcer, but I didn't know Mike at all until we did the show. And it's funny because now we all see each other when we do the shows, right? Yeah. Then we didn't. It was just a voice. And, and so that is weird. <laughs> it, was, it was really weird. Right. And so I let's see, it was like August before I was able to finally get to a racetrack and see Mike. And it was Michigan. So I, I, you know, I went from to cover the race in Michigan and we got to kind of hang out a little bit together and re- and, you know, it's funny with Mike, it's, it's grown into more than just an on-air relationship. It, mm-hmm. it is a friend relationship. He's, he's come here, he stays, he knows the family. I've gone to his place when he's, you know, wherever he's been living and, and stayed with him. So you, you're right. It could have gone the other way and it went the best possible way where we're friends on and off the air. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of different things that have to happen to make you becoming that co-host happens. So, you know, El Supremo does his thing, but he's very understanding of it. But also for, from your perspective, right? Going from a regular on the channel on Moody's show or from, you know, having a co-hosting role on WGN to being a full-time co-host of a four-hour radio show devoted specifically to NASCAR every single weekday, that's not a small change. That's not insignificant. And it's not like you hadn't had experience in the sport in radio before, but doing this is probably a whole nother level. You felt comfortable with taking that opportunity because even though it was a big one, it seems like it was one that you couldn't really pass up. I did. I felt comfortable, but it's interesting. We felt, and we still feel, that when you do a morning show, it has a little different flavor to it than other day parts. Mm-hmm. I think, and you hear it, and you know, you're with us every day now. We, we want to have fun, but we don't want to treat the sport unprofessionally. Do you know what I mean? We don't have to find that fine line. So being prepped, knowing who we're going to talk about, making sure you're completely plugged in everything that's going on in the sport and all that, that obviously that, that has to happen. But the relationship and the rapport, that just happens naturally. And it did. And having fun. You know, if you're getting in your car in the morning, you turn, turn us on. You're either going to work or you're going to school. You no, know, Steve Cohen has told us before. You want to put a kind of a smile on your face, right? You don't want to hear a couple of sour pusses in the morning talking about four <laughs> hours of whatever it is, yeah. even if it's a sport you love like NASCAR. So I think that to me made it a lot easier transition for me that we were going to have fun doing it. We're going to, you know, give, give opinion and, and make sure we're, make sure we're, we're, we're covering the sport the way we should. Yeah. But I mean, four hours is a long time. I mean, you know, you think about some radio shifts on other channels, four hours is one of the longest ones you're going to get. It doesn't feel like four hours someday because of all the stuff that we do, talking to people, having some fun. And uh, again, can't believe it's been going on 14 years now. It's hard to believe. Some days it feels like six hours. Some days it True. feels like 30 minutes. You know, Absolutely. That's going to happen no matter what the job is. But but you're right yeah. about that, you know. But again, I think the morning, and I, this is not a disrespect to anybody else on how they do their radio shows. I've always felt like a morning show should have a little different flavor to it. I, I agree. We, we pretty much kind of nailed that, I think. Yeah, and that's obviously evident in the opening segment every day because unless it's recapping a race the day after or there's something that needs to be talked about right off the bat, 90, 95% of the time, you guys, Sammy, myself, we just we just crack the mic and we just talk about what we did yesterday or what we're going to do today or literally whatever we feel like. And most of the time, it's not related to NASCAR. It's not related to motorsports. And I think that's to your point of when people get in the car at 7 in the morning Eastern time, 6 Central, or if they're listening back to it because it's part of their routine to start their day, or a routine is comfort in its, in itself. 
So to have that routine of opening up the show and welcoming in the listeners of not anything crazy over your head, dynamic, listen, we got to cover this. It's just literally you guys talking. And I think that that is evident in the conversation. And as you said, going on 14 years, the chemistry speaks for itself, which leads me to kind of another question. Obviously, starting out with Mike, you guys did not have the chemistry that you do now. So were there any growing pains or any moments where you maybe second-guessed it and said, well, I I mean, we're, we're having an okay time, but I don't know if we can do this for, for every day for five days a week. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I'm sure Mike would probably answer the question the same way. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, anything you do, you know, this this business that we're in, I mean, I've got to be, I don't want to jinx myself, you know, 14 years together is an eternity you know, in radio. It really is. And so, yeah, sure, there's certainly ups and downs and all those kinds of things. But I think what we come down to is even though, you know, I'm a family guy and a lot of my life outside of work revolves around my family. He's more the single guy. He's got family now. His lifestyle is different. He's on the road a hell of a lot more than I am. It's funny. We got different styles in terms of our lives, but there's a lot of commonality about the things yeah. that interest us. And I think that's the reason without getting all Dr. Phil of why this has worked so well, you know, and I, and I go back to when I would listen to the radio, one of the things that I would always connect to people when I was either growing up or even today is when I can feel like, Hey, they're going through some of the same stuff that I go through. Right. So when I tell you that my car broke down on the way to taking my wife out to dinner or Mike's in line and the lady pulls out the checkbook in front of him when he's trying to pay for his groceries, somebody listening probably like, you know what, that happens to me too. So I think the more you can sort of be relevant to the people listening in addition to all the other stuff we talk about, yeah. I think that makes in my opinion, good radio. I think that's what's kept him and I together for as long as we've been together. Or, you know, you, you pull out your Office your Depot, Depot uh, thing on your wallet, on your phone, right. and they can't scan it, or you get pulled over for going through a stop sign. It's just little things. All those things. And I have no, you know, it's funny, David, because I really don't have any problem talking about that kind of stuff. I think it's just sort of, that's life. It's like we all do the same thing, right? It's like, I'm no different than you just because I'm on the radio and you're going to your yeah. job in an office. It's the same, same deal. And I think, again, that commonality for me, is really, I think, what drives the show and drives what we do on, on Monday through Friday. It's really cliche, but in a way, opposites attract, right? Again, yeah. he, he's not the family guy. He's the single baggie. And you got me, you got Shelly, you got everybody that you bring up on the show all the time. But yeah. you guys make it work. And even getting up that early, which, you know, you can either be a morning person or you cannot be. And it seems like you had to transition to that role. But my point is, you know, you guys aren't necessarily the same when the mic shut off and the show's over, but you have a common interest and a common bond, which is motorsports. Yeah. And that common bond has now formed into a genuine, really, really close friendship that you guys have had for almost two full decades, which, again, that is a remarkable run. You guys have been hosting the show for almost, no, more than half that I've been alive. So yeah. congratulations. Aging you. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. I don't need any more reminders of that, but I appreciate you bringing, bringing that up. But you're right. I mean, and that's, I think you just, just kind of, you know, nailed it perfectly. There, there is a part of both of us that's the same, but a part of both of us that are different. Yeah. And, and, and here's, you know, the last two years have really been, been kind of tough because I haven't been able to get out because of COVID as much as he has. Mm -hmm. So where I would see him five, six, seven, eight times a year, I think we've been together at the racetrack twice, maybe three times at the most. Yeah in the last two years. So hopefully that'll change and, and it'll, you know, again, kind of reestablish bonding and being together and the friendship. It's just been tough. Like it's been tough for everybody, but I'm looking forward to getting back to the track a little more this year with some stuff. Yeah. 
Uh, and again, in that podcast with Nate, which I encourage you guys to go listen to if you, if you want to, Bagman said that the goal each morning for him is to inform, educate, and entertain. Yeah. And I think that's what we've talked about in this conversation. You guys do a really, really good job of that. Sometimes, some days you're informing more. Some days you're entertaining more, like in the off season. Um, and every day you're doing all three of those things. Are those three tenants something that you still try to kind of craft the show by, which is informing people, entertaining people, and educating them? Absolutely. But I, I got to say, and, and a couple of points there, the entertainment part, you know, I don't, you never want to go overboard. You know, you don't want to turn it into where you're not, again, taking the sport you're covering seriously. I don't think right. we do that. I think we have fun with it. The informing part, we try to plug ourselves into as much as we can out there. So again, for us, we're the conduit to the people listening, giving them the information that's out there, things they don't know, you know, and educating them as well. But also it's about opinion, you know, and I have never had a problem if somebody, somebody called up, you know, constructively said, boy, I don't like this. I don't like that. People sometimes take it. Well, you guys are just shills for NASCAR. And you're going to say everything good. I, I take offense to that because I don't think we are. And I think that that's a healthy part of what we do when we talk about things and debate about things. And that's another part of it that keeps me interested in this, you know, just to come on and say everything's hunky dory. That's not the right thing to do. But on the other hand, yeah. it's not as doom and gloom as a lot of people say it is as well. So sort of finding that balance and having those conversations and challenging people or having people challenge me, that makes it all fun. Still, still a fun, uh, fun recipe in the morning. I've tried to navigate this and you obviously have had experience doing it. So part of this is me genuinely curious and part of me needs some advice on it. Um, your partners with NASCAR, like this is the NASCAR channel on Sirius XM. Right. So you guys are inherently partners. You guys are NASCAR fans. You're not out to bash the sport, but you're not out to be a shill for it either. How do you balance that? Because you need to be fair. You need to be honest, but also at the same time, you need to call it like it is. And sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's great. Where do you strike that balance and where's the line? I can honestly say, I can honestly say, I've never heard anybody from NASCAR. I've never heard anybody from Sirius XM say, hey, you know what? You're out of line. Dial it down. Never. As long as it's criticism, if it's criticism that's constructive and based in fact and opinion, yeah, they have it's it's there's no problem with it. There's no problem with it because they understand you got a job to do. Exactly, and yeah. they know. And and you know, and I, I the other part of it is I never ever want to be disingenuous to the people listening because they know they totally know if something's going on and you're sort of glossing over it right now the other side of that is i think there are some people out there who just make it a cottage industry that no matter what nascar does or says is wrong right so you got to find that balance there but i've always you know i'll go back to wgn when i worked at wgn the tribune company owned the radio station and they owned the baseball team so it was the same idea if i came on and i said boy i can't believe this i can't believe that as long as i was being fair about it the company that owned the radio station and the baseball team, they were fine with it. I think the same thing is true. Again, you said it right. NASCAR is a partner. They don't own SiriusXM. They're a partner, just like the MLB Network is a partner with Major League Baseball, mm -hmm. just like NFL is the partner of NFL and so on and so forth. So you, you want to be a good partner and get the information out. But I think if you're a fair partner, that's really all that anybody could ask for. And I think we do a really good job with that. I really do. You have a lot of fun conversations, but there's sometimes where you need to ask hard questions, have difficult conversations. I'm sure yep. you've had your fair share of those over the last 14 or so years. Do any of those stand out in terms of a particular interview or a particular topic that you guys had to hit on that was a little bit tough, but you know you had to do it? And the person that you were interviewing probably knew too. 
Yeah. I mean, a lot of it had to do around the Confederate flag. That was a really tough time on the channel. You know, we asked the questions and I'll give NASCAR credit for this. And I don't know how long it's been going on, but every Monday or Tuesday, they have given us somebody, whether it was Steve O'Donnell, now it's Scott Miller or Elton mm -hmm. Sawyer. They'll give us a NASCAR official to come on and address a lot of like these kinds of things you're talking about. And to your point, I say this all the time. You might not like the answer they're going to give you, but you got to give them credit for coming out and taking the questions that we would ask. Absolutely. And so we try to do that and be fair. So I will always give them credit. They don't run, they don't hide, they come on and they tell you what they feel about a certain situation. So yeah, you're right. There are times where things get a little bit tenuous, but certainly I wouldn't say it's testy or adversarial or anything like that. And I, right. I appreciate that, that the sanctioning body does that. I really do. I found it interesting that you said, you know, when you took this job, it changed your life literally because yeah. you know, I'm basically filling in for Pat Payone. Can't wait for him to come back. He's great. But in my mind, I'm like, okay, I work TMD now. I get up earlier. I might go to sleep a little bit earlier. But that's kind of all that's really changed in my life. But you got to get up earlier than earlier because you're on central time. The show goes on at 7. You don't just wake up at 5.55, hop on your headset, and go. What is your daily routine like in terms of what time you get up? When you actually prep for the show, is it the night before? Is it the morning of? What do you do the rest of the day? What time do you go to sleep? I feel like the, the listeners of TMD would be really intrigued by your actual routine. Okay. Well, to prep for the show, it's basically kind of goes on all day, to be yeah. honest with you. It's 24-7. Like, 24-7. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're on Twitter, you're listening to the channel, you're watching Race Hub or whatever. So you're always kind of on the clock, if you will. And we do a good job. And Sammy Ag, our producer, as you know, is like one of the best I've ever worked with in any form of radio, he's very prepared for us. So from that standpoint, you got to get plugged in. But, you know, here's another part of my life. I've always been someone that thrives on doing other things. And I do do other things. I, I do write. I do work at another channel uh, on Sirius XM. Uh, right now, I used to host on the Bleacher Report channel in the afternoon, which is sort of a general sports channel. Now I do work on the Big Ten channel in college sports a couple of days a week. So I like being busy, uh, Davey. I just do. So my day is different every day. And I think that's another thing that keeps me sort of rejuvenated here. It's not the same routine every day. But at the end of the day, yeah, I usually shut it down. You know, there was a time where when my daughter was still home from college, she would be up much later than I was, right? Good night, Dad. What are you doing? I'm going to bed, 9.30. So I'm, I'm usually shutting it down between 9.30 and 10. And I'm up to 4.30 and, and getting ready to prep. We connect 5.30 Central Time here for me, 6.30 for everybody together. We kind of go through what the show's going to be, and then the green flag flies at 7 a.m. Eastern time. Yes, it does. And the checkered flag falls at 10 a.m. Eastern time for you, or Central yes. time. Got to yes. get it confused. Right. So after that, and I know you have your show on the Big Ten channel, you're always consuming media and stuff like that. When yeah. do you find the time to carve out time to, whether it's write an article for MRN or craft together the power rankings for the next day or come up with your Monday headline today? Is that something that you have to block out time for or like you said is it just a constant information flow and the work never really yeah. stops as cliche as I, that is i i i'm i've always been pretty good about time management skills you know so i use quite honestly i think i, think I might have talked about this on the air time blocking app yeah, yeah. that i have and yeah. you slide things in and and every day is different and then there's got to be time for you know family and working out or something like that you can't be 24 7 but i like the fact that every day i get up for the most part outside of TMD Monday through Friday, which is my anchor is kind of different. And I, I thrive on that kind of a thing. So I actually like yeah. part of my day prior planning out what tomorrow's going to be and kind of see what lies ahead. And that, that's kind of cool. And, 
you know, again, not being able to travel as much lately has been, because I used to go out on Fridays a lot. You know, you do that when you travel. I, I look forward to getting that back in the mix too, because I have to say the travel part of it, I'm not a giant guy. I'm never going to be a guy that's going to be on the circuit for 36 races. That's not yeah. for me, but, but going out there, getting plugged in and sort of breaking up the week, you know, I miss that uh, doing games. You know, I haven't been able to do that on the big 10 side. So once this COVID thing, which it seems like it's under control, getting under control, gets a little further away, I think I'll get plugged into that better as well. Don't know if you heard, but that's me knocking on wood. Hopefully, yes, it's that way. I, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about a couple other ventures for you in the media landscape before we get to some uh, some rapid fire quick hitters about TMD. And I appreciate your time. I know we're going on an hour here. PSP Communications. I yes. saw that kind of come across the wire on social media a couple months ago. Can you tell us and tell me about it? Because I selfishly am interested in it and why you decided to to go about that. So PSP Communications is my co company that we started, again, COVID. We were supposed to kind of launch this last year. Uh, it's a couple of friends of my partners. It's a content and media company. And we've got about two or three different things, one of them being in motorsports that we're going to launch. Stay tuned, kids. I think we're pretty close to letting people know what we're going to do. We're staying tuned. But there's a motorsports component to it. There's going to be a short track digital component to it where we're going to cover some short track racing, which I think is cool. needed, quite honestly. And there's one that's going to come out, I think, in the fall. We're hoping that will be Chicago sports-centric. So basically, awesome. it's, again, it's a media content company. It's a couple of friends of mine, a couple of partners. We had kind of got together to do this. And so we're going to launch it doesn't change anything I do at Sirius XM. That's still mm -hmm. my main part on, you know, I'm going to have a little few things more with Sirius XM, which is great. One day they're going to figure this all out, baby, and they're all going to kick me to the curb. But until then, I'm going to take every opportunity they give me. So uh, that should be coming up pretty soon. But I appreciate you asking me that because I'm excited about it. Yeah. I always yeah. have the sort of entrepreneurial spirit, you know, with all the things that I like to do. And we were kind of able to get it all kind of under one roof and one umbrella and then you know, the damn virus and pandemic hit that kind of threw a curveball at us. But I think we're close to getting that back on track pretty soon. So the why question is essentially you've wanted to do something like this for a while. Yeah. COVID allowed you to kind of reflect and actually try to plan this out. And now we're just kind of waiting on the, the finalization of that to happen because the virus wreaks havoc in ways that we don't see. Pretty much. You know, I and I, I wrote this, so at some point it'll come out in some digital form, but I was like kind of inspired by the pandemic the whole mortality, you know, if you're going to do something, you probably should just grab yeah. life yeah. by the feet and do it. And the Marvel universe where I feel like everything I do can be interconnected to something else. And that was kind of the reason I decided <laughs> like, let's try this. Cause I think everything will kind of fit together in this one's way, shape or form. We're going to find out before too long here. Um, you know, you're a big deal when you have your own Wikipedia page, did you know, you have that. Uh, my nephews have reminded me of that many times. Okay. I asked because I was looking on your Wikipedia page in preparation for this chat. I want to read you an excerpt that I saw on there because I was a little, I was a little taken aback. Yeah. Quote, yes. unlike his co-host Bagley, Pistoni is known for being snarky and having a low tolerance for nonsense like his other MRN colleague Moody. And then I wrote my notes, WTF. Who yeah. wrote that? Who I don't is know. this? I don't know. Now listen, I will cop the snarky. I'm, I'm snarky. I love it. You know, I think I've kind of morphed lately into more of the dad joke guy than the snarky guy. But yes, I don't know. I, I don't know where that came from. I just I mean, found know, that listen. funny because I was like, okay, maybe some of that's true. But whoever wrote, know. like, do they know Pete? What? What is going on? Did they listen? 
Yeah. Well, you know what? Hey, they put me in the conversation with the Godfather, so that's not so bad either, right? There you go. Like, there you go. Like Coming full yeah. circle. You were the regular, yeah. and now you're on the Wikipedia page with them. See what I mean? There you go. Yeah. Circle life. All right. Let's do some quick hitters, some TMD questions that I have that I just want to get answered since I've listened to the show for a while. And now I work on it. I know that you guys used to do live shows, live remotes from different places. I know you did them from a Waffle House, which is yes. my dream. Uh, <laughs> you did it from truck stops in the past. Anywhere else that you've done live remotes from and anywhere that you'd like to do them from in the future? No, we we had uh, we, we were doing a lot from the racetrack, like I said, you know, obviously. But the Waffle House ones were great. I think we did three of those. Didn't those you talk to fun. Richard Petty in a Waffle House? We had Richard Petty at the Waffle Incredible. House. It was a lot of uh, Smithfield was driving it then when yeah. the King had Smithfield as a sponsor. He was there. Um, we did, you know, you said we tried to do the trucks. The truck stop didn't actually happen. It's the I-80 truck stop. Oh. On Interstate 80, if you're going from like here to Iowa Speedway or Kansas Speedway, the sign says the world's largest truck stop. Who am I to argue with the sign of it? It's the world's largest truck stop. Okay, it must be. So Maz, Michael Mazvinsky, who used to work with us on this channel on Sirius XM NASCAR radio, now he's a college guy. He was like, we got to do a show from there. And he was never able to pull it off. So I would still love to do a show from the world's largest truck stop. And I would still like to do a show if we could. Mike always says like outdoors, right? El Fresco. Let's do it somewhere outside. Well, I would love to do a show like go to Watkins Glen and do it from like downtown. Oh yeah. Yeah, a little area there. You've talked Great about area. this on the air before. I would love to find like a little pub or someplace to get open in the morning and do it in downtown Watkins Glen, New York. That would be awesome. That's my that's on my that's on my bucket list. Let's do that one. I know we need to strike the balance between informing, educating, and entertaining, but I will say if we do a remote from a Waffle House and I'm not working yeah. TMD or if I'm not even at the company, I want to be here for a while, but if I'm not there for whatever reason, if I'm if I'm out, if I'm out of town, whatever, we should do something where I try to eat like two all-star specials an hour or something because Waffle House is my favorite place in the world. I know that there's like fantasy football challenges where you have to eat a waffle like 24 hours, whatever. Yeah. That would be some great radio, I'm telling you. And I'm willing to take the bait. Okay. Well, there's there's probably a video of this somewhere, but one of the first Waffle House remotes yeah. we did. You tried grits. I, I just, you know, I'm, a, I'm not a, I'm a Chicago guy. What do I know yeah. from grits? So, I didn't expect you to have it before. Yeah. So they said, so Mike said, son, you got to try it. You know, we'll put cheese on it. We'll salt it up. You, you, it's going to be the best thing that's ever, you know, gone through your lips. And it was just, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> I just took a bite out of it and I was like, uh, where do I put this? You know, so not a grits guy. So the Waffle House grits, I think he did it, like I said, three times. And every time they're trying to eat, get, eat the grits, couldn't do it. No way. Couldn't I think it. Dom was telling me a story, too, that there was a time where there was going to be a potential possibility that somebody was going to jump in a <laughs> vat of grits. A swimming pool. Like they were going to go get a kiddie pool at the Walmart, yeah. fill it up with yeah. grits and have somebody go in it. Like, no. But they needed no. to have it cool down because it was scolding hot. <laughs> Right. Who's going to jump in hot grits? That didn't work out. Nah. One of those ideas that was good on paper, but just wasn't <laughs> able to be executed. No. Yeah. I, I, I sense a lawsuit would come with that scolding grits in, in a kiddie pool. All right. Yeah. While we're on the topic of food, um, whenever we have the, the second to chat about Portillo's, we do. What is your Portillo's order when you're not, when it's not Lent? Yeah. When it's not Lent, Portillo's order has got to be the uh, big beef. You get it now. You get it. There's three ways you can have it. You can have it dry. Right. You could have it dipped or you could have it like baptized where they basically just throw it into the <laughs> vat of, of juice. They should add that to the it. menu. Baptized. Baptized. So I go with the middle one, sweet peppers. And, you know, 
if you really want to go nuts, you do a Chicago style hot dog as sort of your appetizer. And then you go with the beef sandwich and, a, and of course, a Diet Coke, Dave, because you got to, you know, balance out all those calories you're about to put down the pile. Well, call me nuts because since it, we don't have them here in D.C., whenever I go to Portillo's, whether it be in Chicago, Arizona, whatever, I do go nuts. I get the, the shaved beef. I get the Chicago style dog. I get cheese fries and I get a cake shake. My gosh. Where do you put all it, man? Look at you. You're in such good shape and you eat like a horse. My goodness. If you think I'm in good shape, you got to see me in person, pal. <laughs> well, I haven't seen you standing up in a long time. So right. Yeah. No, but I, I do get all that because I. it's one of those things. It's like Waffle House is my 1A, Portillo is yeah. my P2. So if that, I mean, it might be 1B. So whenever I go, I got to ball out and I go hard. And I'm yeah. full, but... It's worth it. I also like the Maxwell Polish sausage. I think is Polish what it's called. Is good, yeah. So Portillo's good. is so funny because again, when I was a kid, there was one. It was Portillo's. There was one place. He had a little like shack yeah. near the airport, and my my dad knew it, and he took us for beef sandwiches. And then from there, it turned into this unbelievable all over Chicago, now all over the country kind of a place. But when we so went to good. Portillo's, it was one place. It was just that's it. Portillo's right over there. Well, when I come to Chicago, we're hanging out. We're getting Portillo's. Okay. Deal. Absolutely. Okay. Good. All right. Uh, speaking of food, the third food question. I've only had Chicago deep dish pizza once. It was when yeah. I was like 12 and my dad and I went to Chicagoland. And I yeah. think I think it was just like Pizzeria Uno or something. So mm-hmm. when I go, what's the right place to get? Is it Lou Malnati's? Because that's what I keep hearing. Yeah. Lou Malnati's is the best. Uno's is okay. I used to be a Giordano's guy. Malnati's is the best. Two reasons. One, I think the crust is better. It's like butter crust. It's so good. And one of my best friends went to Bradley University, and he uh-huh. was uh, he was fraternity brothers with Rick Malnati, who actually played basketball at Bradley, and now Rick kind of runs the company. So, you know, if you go in there at the right time, okay. sometimes you get a little bit of that family discount, which is not a bad thing, Davey. We can't get a Pete Giordano's discount? No, <laughs> that's a wrong, wrong Giordano. Different guy. It was very confusing because when I first started at the channel, there's Pete Giordano who right. is doing loose ends, which I now do, for Pete DiDonato. And this is after I got back from a trip to Chicago, and I wanted Giordano. So I was I was all scrambled up there for That's a week. Crazy. Yeah, Giordano's is okay, but uh, if you're coming to this town, yeah. go go to the Malnati family. They'll take good care of you. Okay. Um, these are the cliche questions. Favorite guest that you've had in the 14 years? Mario Andretti, for sure. You still um, pinch yourself when you talk to him? It's amazing. And and that was a day where he was part of Behind the Wheel with Joey Logano when we have yeah. Joey with us for an hour. And I'm like, wow, Joey Logano, Mario Andretti. I think I'll just kind of, as Mike would say, let's just lay out for this one, son. <laughs> let these two yeah. go at it. But yeah, pretty cool to have Mario Andretti on for sure. How about a bucket list guest that you haven't had yet? Uh, let's see. I would like to have somebody, you know, it's funny. It's You say that and it's like, we have been so lucky. You've had everyone. You've had everybody. I'm not trying to dodge the question, but we have had everybody on our show, Hall of Famers, current people, which, again, is great that people give us their time and all that kind of a thing. Um, I, You know, at this juncture, I would like, and I know he doesn't like to do a lot of media, but I would like to talk to either Jim France for a while because I think, you know, he's been really kind of a big proponent over a lot of the mm-hmm. things that are happening here. Or, or Lisa France Kennedy. She's been out with us before, but if I had yeah. a bucket list right now, now, I like to spend a little more time than maybe 10 or 15 minutes, but we have had everybody, man, in 14 years. Yeah, we've had yeah. Indy 500 winners on. We've come on, you know, it's a little tradition. It's like, I know the NASCAR channel, but the Monday after the 500, we have the Indy 500 winner with us. We have Elio Castroneves with us last year, Tony Colors. Yeah. So it's all, uh, it's all good stuff. I, I think we've been really blessed in that regard. 
Um, I always have a question for people. It's like if you could sit down and have dinner with one person from the racing world, past or present, who would it be and why? Well, I think past or present, I mean, I go back to I would like to have been able to talk a little bit more maybe with Bill France Jr. I didn't know senior. I knew junior a little bit because of my uncle and all that kind of thing. But that would be cool. I would love to have done that. You know, from the competition, well, I'll tell you, from the media standpoint side, uh, a little longer time with Chris Economaki would have been kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Got to know him a little bit. There were a couple of times where back to those writing days, my spot in the media center was like right next to him for some reason. And let me just tell you, it's hard to come up with cogent thoughts when Chris Economaki is banging away oh on God. a royal typewriter, you know. Uh, but I, that would be cool. I was really, it's funny because a lot of the people in the sport that I was sort of attracted to are drivers, but the media people really, you know, when I saw stories by Tom Higgins or I would see, you know, the guys on television, Benny Parsons and those kinds of things, I was almost more Ken Squire, Barney Hall, almost more attracted to those guys than the actual participants because of what I wanted to do in my life. So I'm kind of Mackie certainly at the top of that list for sure. You guys do power rankings every week uh, in the off season. They are a little bit more different, a little, little bit more fun than the ones during the season. And on the Big Ten channel, I think you power ranked pizzas recently. So yes. out of all the years, have you had a favorite power rankings? Um, I think on TMD, my favorite power rankings was when we get to the holidays because it gets really heated when we talk about Christmas movies or uh, Christmas treats. Like Those are the ones that get people more fired up than the actual power rankings that I do from drivers so i look forward to uh, the christmas time because i think the people get really oh movies is another one because you know again mike god bless him he hasn't seen a lot of movies he's not a movie guy so sammy's a big movie guy i'm a big movie guy i think you're sort of a good movie guy in terms of when you talk about some of the things that are out there sports wise you know mike doesn't yeah. kind of follow that so those are the more heated battles you know that we get there so i i, I those are fun to do when we're not actually racing which that's not a lot of time these days as you know it's yeah. like a few weeks right yeah, it is. 14 years, I'm sure you guys have had thousands, if not millions of calls, um, and you get a lot of regulars. I've enjoyed developing relationships with them when I'm screening them and stuff. Yeah. Is there one call over the years that sticks out like from a certain person or just a topic or something that happened in the background? You're shaking your head yes, so yes. let's hear it. I can answer this question. So for as long as I've been a co-host on the show, we always work Labor Day. Labor Day is right after the Southern 500, right? You're not going to yep. take Labor Day off. So I said, I would love somebody to call the show while they were in labor. You know, if you're on your way to the hospital, you're going to have a blessed event. You're in labor. Oh Why not call God. the morning drive on Labor Day? <laughs> so we had one guy call one time and you could tell they were faking it. You know, I've been doing this long enough where you can tell it wasn't happening. Well, it wasn't Labor Day, but we had a woman call us up from Wisconsin and she was completely, you could just totally tell she was in labor. And oh my God. <laughs> she was, and she put her husband, Joel, on, you know, hi guys. I'm just, she's really, she's in labor. I'm telling you, she is. And, and it, was, it wasn't Labor Day. They kept us on the, on the line all the way till they got to the hospital. Sure enough, the next day, she tweeted out a picture of the baby. And then we went to, they're from Wisconsin. So we went to Road America. They found us. We got to meet the whole family and the baby, and they gave us like little certificates where we were like honorary godparents of oh the baby that God. was born on the morning drive. That's incredible. So that was that was great. That one, yeah, that one really was funny, but it was actually kind of touching 
that they thought about us. But it's not going to come up with a new bit for Labor Day because you can't have another person go into labor. But that was the best. That was the best call. Totally well, did they did they name the kid Pete or Mike? No, or Mike. I forgot it was a it was a little girl. <laughs> I forgot I forgot her name. But yeah, Sammy doesn't Sammy. The fact that they tra- you know they they tracked this down and they had these certificates, man. It's incredible. See, that's the thing. It's like you just hear, you think this is just voices on the radio, but if you can connect with someone like that, my God, yeah. that's yeah. it's weight gold there. That was great, really great. What about another wild experience that you've had while you're working the show, whether it be on air or off air? Just one of those moments where you sit back and you're like, uh, "That was crazy." Yeah, um, a lot of that happens when we're on the road. I remember when I was working uh, a show in Michigan. Um, the media center they have in Michigan now is awesome, right? The media center they used to have was horrible. It was terrible. So we used to have a radio hookup. It wasn't even in the media center. It was in the uh, like the the Unical building across the way, the little shack, right? It was like okay. this table. And that's where all the safety workers would come and just kind of hang out from the racetrack. So I remember I was in the middle of a show, and here comes this guy. Boom. Door flies open, slams in there. Where's Bob? I'm like, dude, I think we have to drop somewhere. I'm doing live radio here. You know, I'm yelling at the guy and he's like, oh, I, I'm sorry. And then he slams the door. And then two minutes later, another guy comes in looking for Bob. So I don't know who the hell Bob was. Looking for Bob Tazi. Bob, that no, wasn't Bob Tazi. Actually, I think Bob Tazi <laughs> might have been producing the show that day. But yeah, that, that one comes to mind. We've had, you know, a lot of technical issues along the way. Sometimes yeah. that happens. I remember being in uh, Kentucky one time. Again, another gem of a radio room. And there was a uh, like a thunderstorm. And I was in the middle of whatever I was doing. And all of a sudden, they're like, they call me, you know, you're not on the air. Like, really? It's like, I've been talking for 20 minutes. It would have been nice to know that a little sooner than that. Um, that was <laughs> that was a memorable that was a memorable moment for sure. Good Lord. What about a, what about a memorable mistake that you've made? Because Lord knows over 14 years, there's going to be mistakes that are made, unfortunately, on air. You can learn from them and you can laugh about them. Is there anybody that sticks out or anyone that sticks out? names getting mixed up which again is ironic because if you listen you know, i kind of give my mom a hard time because she has a hard time sometimes making names be what they should be mm-hmm. and i know we were bringing on casey mirrors and i called him casey kane and i did that at least a couple of times <laughs> and he laughed about it thank goodness um but yeah you know and that's the here's the thing i think you know and this is a bagman line we don't have a backspace key on the radio right so you write a story and you make a mistake, you just back it up and redo it. You just kind of go with it. You try to be as accurate as possible. I think if you have fun with it, when you make a mistake and you know you made a mistake, that's probably the best way people do it. It happens, you know. Let's close it out with this. You've done so much over the last 14 years on the show. You've done so much more over the last 20, 30 years in the industry and in the sport overall. Your, your entire life has been essentially in this sport of auto racing and in the sports world in general. What else do you want to do? Is there anything else that you want to accomplish? A race that you want to cover? A show that you want to be a guest on? Somebody you want to interview? Is there one or a couple things that you still want to accomplish in your career? I think two things. One, I really would like to have this business endeavor kind of take off and have that going. And quite honestly, um, I've got a couple of nephews who want to get in this business. And if I feel like I can build something, maybe they can kind of segue on when I decide to just go do whatever I want to do. That would be great. So I'm hoping for that. And I, I, I have a couple of book ideas. And I really, writing a book is a completely different thing. You know, it just, it's not fast paced. You got to do a lot of research and stuff, but there's a couple yeah. of things yeah. that I would like to, and they actually, one of them is in the motorsports world. I would like to, at some point, 
write a book. And I'm very jealous of some of our colleagues, Nate Ryan, Ryan McGee, those guys that do such an incredible job on the other things they do, but yet they're also authors of books. Yeah. I would like yeah. to at some point, Davey, have, have you go into Barnes and Noble and say, oh, look, I know that guy. Petey's got a book out there. I, I would like that to happen at some point. I'm not a big reader, but you got my word. If you have a book, I'll pre-order that joint multiple times. You got my okay. word. Maybe I can do it for you. I can do a book on tape and I'll read it to you. And you can just listen to Please. it. Please. I'm more of a picture book guy. You know, <laughs> I just like the thumb through with the big print and the photos, you know, keep my attention. I'll keep that. Because less words for me to write. So that's perfect. Yeah. That. There you go. Well, speaking of keeping attention, I have kept you for way too long. I really, really appreciate your time. We've been uh, we've been trying to do this for a while, and you've been busy. I've been busy, but I, I, I mean what I say when I told you like before, like TMD. I think is one of, if not our best show on the channel. I've listened to it forever, and now working on it, I see it in a whole different light, and I have a way, way bigger appreciation for what you, Mike, Sammy, and everybody behind the scenes does. And also, again, just growing up listening to you on MRN and on the show and even reading you a little bit back in the day, it's been great to be able to develop a professional and a personal relationship with you. And whether you know it or not, you've had a big impact on me. So I, I really appreciate your time today and just overall the last few months and the last year plus that I've been at Sirius. You've been the man. So I really appreciate you, Pete. That's very flattering. I appreciate that. I think you are uh, doing a lot of good stuff for a guy your age. You're young and Davey, but keep doing it. I like got to keep you guys young on the air, you know, you keep us young, but the stuff you do and social media and stuff like that, just keep it up, man. It's uh, it's great. And I, and I appreciate you having me on today. See you bright and early. See you pal. And we're back Whew. again. Thank you to Pete for his time. Thank you for his honesty, his openness, his professionalism. He was great. I, selfishly, I struggle a little bit on this show when I'm interviewing subjects and they drone on for a long time and then I drone on for a long time and I don't get to everything that I wanted to cover in my interview prep. I prep more for this interview than I have for maybe any ever. Like I had more notes and I was waiting to do this chat for a long, long time and we got through almost everything and that's because he was so generous with his time but also this man does morning radio for a living he knows how to get in get out do it efficiently succinctly so we covered a ton of ground and i'm so glad that we got to everything i wanted to because pete is a gem of a host a gem of a guy and i just can't thank him enough sound like a race car driver can't thank my guys enough but pete if you're still listening or mia shelly buddy mike whoever el supremo dom Thank you guys for hiring Pete. And thank you, Pete, for hopping on the show. It's great to chat with you. Let's briefly chat about Fontana because, man, this past weekend's race was a doozy, wasn't it? That worn-out surface, slipping and sliding, up and down, five wide, contact, flat tires, spinning out. And at the end of the day, it's the classic Kyle Larson who wins the race. Of course he's going to win. After all, it is the Cup Series, right? Just because there's an X-Gen car doesn't mean that the top dogs are not the top dogs. With that being said, though, we did see some different players up front in this race. How about Eric Jones qualifying second, finishing third, leading a handful of laps? Tyler Reddick winning the first two stages before he had that tire issue and then got rammed into by William Byron, had the race-winning car and probably was going to win that race. Um, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. was up there in the top 10. Eric Almarola with the sixth place finish. Kevin Harvick, who is obviously a name that you're accustomed to seeing up front, but last year, SHR had their fair share of struggles. And even in the race on Sunday, he was mired in the teens and the 20s. And then, boom, all of a sudden, he finishes seventh. 
Daniel Hemrick was six laps down, for God's sake. And this man comes back for a top 10 finish. Kyle Busch, four laps down, gets a top 15. It was an incredible race. Just when you think of a NASCAR stock car race, that's kind of what I think of. I think of slipping and sliding, off-throttle time, tire degradation, comers and goers, unpredictability, drivers on the ragged edge trying to hang it out, spinning out based off of just losing the car, not because they got hit or an arrow push or whatever. That was dope. That was a NASCAR race, and that was, as Brian France would say, quintessential NASCAR. I loved it. With that being said, got to fix the flat tire issues. There's no way that there should be a penalty of losing three to four laps for just spinning out and getting a flat tire and then getting stuck. Even if Brian Patty on the morning drive said that there should be consequences for that, I agree, but the consequences should not be that severe. They should not be that steep, in my opinion. So I know NASCAR is working hard on trying to rectify that issue. Greg Stucker has said that you can't really put interliners in these tires because they are what they are. You can't raise the next-gen car off the ground because that would change the complete geometry of how the car operates aerodynamically and downforce-wise. So there's going to have to be a solution that comes. I don't know when that will be. I don't know where that will be. I don't know how that will be. But I have no doubt that NASCAR is working hard on it. So, so stay tuned on that, and we'll see what happens. But just, man, love Fontana. Didn't go there for a couple years, and I think everybody, myself included, kind of forgot how great of a racetrack and how great of a race it can be when given the right ingredients, like the right package and the right drivers and the horsepower and downforce combination to let it shine. And boy, did it shine on Sunday. What a race. And we continue out west for the West Coast Swing, heading to Las Vegas Motor Speedway this weekend for a triple header and a quadruple header if you really want to talk about that with the Arkham Menard Series West out there in action. Victoria's Voice Foundation 200, 9 p.m. Eastern on Friday. You're probably listening to this on Friday. The Truck Series, the Alsco Uniforms 300, the Xfinity Race goes green Saturday at 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. And the Pennzoil 400 for the Cup Series goes green Sunday, March 6th. Green flag set to fly just past 3.30 p.m. Eastern time. Defending winner, well, you guessed it. The betting favorite to win this weekend, Kyle Larson, also won last weekend. Nobody would be shocked if he wins again this weekend in Las Vegas. I'm going to keep my eye on a couple drivers, though. Uh, Joey Logano, because he's won before in this race at this racetrack. He also has the Pennzoil colors on his 22 Ford for Team Penske. And we saw Cole Custer win the Production Alliance Group 300 at Fontana in the Production Alliance Group car. Maybe Joey Logano can do that again for the second week in a row in the sport, and I believe for the second or third time in his career at Las Vegas. I'm keeping an eye on Eric Jones and Tyler Reddick, too. They absolutely were killing it at Fontana, as I mentioned, and I don't think that that's going to just go away or stop, and odds are that one, if not both of them, are going to be running the same cars at Vegas that they just did at Fontana, unless Reddick car was too banged up to get repaired. I also want to keep an eye on Kyle Busch. Kurt Busch, too, for that matter. I know they're the hometown kids at Las Vegas. I think Kyle probably has a better shot of winning than Kurt does. But at the same time, I think winning would be overachieving, if that's crazy to say, for Kyle Busch this weekend in Vegas. Because JGR, they are not looking too hot right now. It's going to be temporary. They're going to get their crap together. But Christopher Bell is tied for last in the point standings right now. 
He is 36th in the standings after a dismal start to the year. And all the JGR cars last weekend at Fontana were having those overheating issues, which they seem to have solved now, according to David Wilson. But they just did not have the raw speed. And I'm sure part of that was attributed to those overheating issues. But I don't think that this is going to just fix with a snap of a fingers. There, I can't snap. What? There you go. I don't know why it sounds weird. There you go. That's a better one. Anyways, I digress. I think that they'll be fine, but I don't know if they're going to have race-winning speed with all four of their cars and all six of the Toyotas on Sunday at Las Vegas. But if I had to pick one of them, I'd probably pick Kyle Busch just because I think right now he may be the hungriest. It's his home track. And whenever you say Kyle Busch can't do something, odds are he usually proves you wrong. So I'll be watching the Candyman come Sunday as well. Again, 3.30 p.m. Eastern. Penn's Oil 400 from Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Check it out on the Fox Family Networks. And that'll wrap things up this week, party people, for episode 138 of Victory Lane 2.0. If you like what you heard here today, do me a favor and leave a rating and a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud. Again, usually wherever you get your podcasts, we should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, drop us a line, and I will try to rectify that issue for you. I'm the host. I'm the producer. I'm the director. I'm the editor. I'm the IT guy for this whole shebang. So just let me know, and I'll do my best to try to get everything squared away for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much to Pete Pistoni for hopping on with me today and giving me over an hour of his time. I know I'll probably have Mike on in the near future. I hope to make that happen. But again, he is a busy, busy man as well, hosting everything under the sun on Sirius and the Motor Racing Network. But to get Pete's perspective on the show, it was so, so cool. And I'd love to get Mike's perspective on a lot of the same things that Pete and I discussed. So hopefully be on the lookout for that in the near future. And you guys can compare answers from episode to episode. Until next week's episode, though, please enjoy yourself. Enjoy the racing this weekend at Las Vegas. And I will catch you on the flip side.